0: Welcome to the One Life Podcast. Being a business owner is potentially the best path to build personal wealth. However, embarking on an opportunity, whether full-time or as a side hustle, is incredibly tough. I believe that understanding finances is integral to the success of your business. The purpose of this podcast is to empower you to understand, manage and grow your business finances and therefore your personal wealth. I invite you to join me every Friday as I share insights and actionable strategies to make your business serve you rather than you serve your business. I'm your host, Andrew Wilson. Well, welcome to episode 31 of the One Life Business Podcast. I hope you're well and you're looking after yourself. This podcast is about financial empowerment, your financial empowerment, and specifically that empowerment that is earned through understanding, controlling, and growing your business finances. And in turn, what that does is it will feed into your personal finances and will propel you along that journey to hopefully your financial independence. If you haven't listened to any of these podcasts before, then please feel free to go back to episode one. I give you a bit of an introduction into myself and why I'm doing this podcast, and I take you on a bit of a journey. So maybe if you listen to the first five or 10, it'll really help you f- get a feel for, uh, for what I'm doing here. This podcast is in association with the Tears of Freedom program and the Always Free podcast and the Always Free show, both of which are presented by Jason Graystone. If you haven't heard either of these, I strongly suggest suggest doing so now my guest this week is a friend of mine and we've been friends for quite a long time um we've we've done business together for maybe 20 coming up for 20 years now and Absolutely. his name is mr barry may barry welcome to the podcast
1: welcome andrew yeah um a little bit of background on myself um i graduated starting business over 20 years ago as uh, andrew kindly kindly confirmed uh-huh. um Oak uh, Financial Management is um, moving into its year of, 11th year of trading. So we've gone through 10, I would say, fairly successful years, um, economically some pretty challenging years as well. If we look back just before starting the business in 2010, we, we had a 2008 recession. Then we come through probably the strange environment that, that has impacted everyone, not only financially, but but um, in, in terms of uh, environmentally, the way it's impacted family health and i think it's changed people's outlook fundamentally not only on finances but what what they want from life we're we're only here to affect and make people make informed and the right decisions that are, are going to help them benefit and, and live the life they want to leave in the future basically
0: well barry the reason i asked you to to come on the podcast is pensions is obviously very very important in my view i think there's a lack of knowledge yeah both about why it's important to have a pension, if it's important to have a pension, and what you find at times, of course, with most things that are financial, it's emotive. And you find that people are saying, you know what, I'll never have a pension. I'm, I don't believe in them. And then you get other people that are staunch. You know, you know what, I've been paying into a pension for 40 years and I intend to have a have a uh, a very healthy and and long retirement. So my question to you is, how knowledgeable are people? I think it's very difficult uh, if, if we look fundamentally
1: at the, the savings gap within in the UK and people's impression or idea of what a pension is i think people have got an idea that retirement's a long way off and we're all working a sort of luddite type process where we, we don't want to move with the times we don't want to change everyone's bad news travels fast everyone look know someone in the pub or family member saved into a pension for years didn't work and, and that acts as almost a cancer and, and then suddenly oh pensions aren't worth it well pension generically I think, are more flexible, more valuable than ever been, because effectively, we were in a period years ago where the employer had an arm around you. Effectively, people would have a great opportunity to work from the age of 16, 18, do 30 years, come out with a defined benefit pension scheme, which is basically geared to income, and they would come out with half or maybe two thirds, if they were lucky, with a little lump sum on top, an income that's going to last them for life. that will be indexed each year, so it will go up a little bit of inflation. Didn't have to worry about what the funds were doing, how it was managed, got a statement each year in line with, with perhaps what their, their final earnings would be. And, and they're only now principally available to NHS, fire service and, and the police at the
0: moment. As an IFA, you have access to the entire pension sort of portfolio that is out there. Do you find that people save into a pension too late? Are you finding people that are in their 30s or 40s uh, that are starting it?
1: The key thing with everything is to start as soon as you can. But principally, as we've seen in the last week or two, inflation suddenly raced around at 4%. The cost of living is going up. People are starting families later. Everyone's living their lives a bit between their 20s and 30s. Suddenly they settle down. They're faced with huge property costs, huge mortgages. That impacts upon what they can spend. And unless the employer, where some people have been very fortunate, non contributory pension schemes, we find people... And it, it's almost heartbreaking that when you sit down with someone, they've been five years into a job, they, they've they had the terms of the pension in front of them, saying if they pay 5%, the employer will pay 5% and they opt out of the scheme. And they're basically giving away free money, not only from the employer, but also from the government. But we can understand it. They've got costs, they've got children, life's expensive. But taking that step can fundamentally devalue what the Pot could be in the future purely because of the compound expect The earlier you start, if you made a hundred pounds in the age of twenty, or then started at forty to pay the same amount of money in, you'd have a third less pension at sixty or sixty-five, whatever you're you're attaining to.
0: It's a really good point, actually. And compounding is something that people perhaps don't appreciate. Perhaps this is the world that we live in at the moment. It's a very here now. I want this. It's a very material yeah. world that we live in. Putting money away for the future. Perhaps it's perceived as being a mistake. Perhaps it's perceived as being, you know what, I'll deal with it when it happens. But the problem with that is when it does happen, you don't have the option to deal with it because you haven't saved, have you? So do you feel that auto-enrolment and the fact that the government has sort of imposed this on both employees and employers, granted they have the option to opt out, but do you think auto-enrolment is going to help people in the longer term?
1: Um, I think it will help. I think it's certainly created more awareness. I think it's a two-edged sword. People are in it who don't opt out are going to get benefit from it, regardless of What the contribution levels are, if they top it up, etc. I think the danger is that the contribution levels are so low, eight percent, that it gives people a false sense of security. Because if you ask someone, "Have you got an ISA? Oh, yeah, I've got an ISA. Have you got a pension? I've got a pension. All right, okay, I've got a pension. I should be okay." They they don't look at the fundamentals: how much they're paying in, how much they're going to need in the future, what the funds are doing, is it growing, is it working for them, and where you had a defined benefit scheme that targeted an income, people have got to reverse back and say, well, what income are I going to need in retirement? What does bottom level look like? What does good look like? And what does exceptional look like in terms of those bands? Am I going to have to afford to live? Am I going to have some luxuries? Am I going to, have to afford a holiday, etc.? The issue is at 8% on, a, on, an, on an average salary, I think it's about twenty six, twenty seven thousand 27,000 a year now, it, it's very low levels of contribution. Yes, it gets people through the door. Yes, it starts people contribution. But I think the danger is people may look at that, been paying in for 20 years and suddenly think, hang on a minute, I've got nowhere. It's not what I expected. They may have a fund of less than 30,000. They may end up actually receiving the the, the the cash value of that back. If it's under 30,000, it seen as menial. They could actually take the whole lot back and they haven't then got that pension that they perhaps thought they may have. I don't think there's a lot of education and it's not up to the employer to educate, but in seminars we do. And one one of the the, the key things is if someone's 45, if they were to start contributing, most people get paid monthly. There's only 12 paydays in a year. If someone's 40 and wants to retire at 65, they've got 300 more paydays. So what are they gonna do with those 300 more days when they might have young kids? I've got young children. I'm 45, the children are, are eight and six, Children are expensive. They have to eat. You have to feed them. You have to keep them alive. They have to have treats, apparently. So these things cost money. We want to do the best for them. But do we do that at a detriment of just putting that little bit away each month and and trying to plan a little bit for the future?
0: Okay. And and your role as an IFA is is effectively to do that planning, isn't it? Is to sit down with someone and say, what do you want your your retirement to look like? What have you got in the pot at present? And what do you need to do in between to get yeah. to where you need to go? I
1: uh,
0: believe... I'm simplifying it, obviously. Well, but... I can
1: simplify it as well, because all the, all the pension branding and all the fun looking stuff, the insurance companies pump out in the pension companies this lovely couple sitting on the beach retiring they've got their grandkids around they're all smiling they've all got a full head of hair they're all looking pretty fit like they've stepped out of a case catalog that is not most people's retirement when you look at that and then you look fundamentally at what what people can do and you look at mortality rates how people are going to how long people are going to live the life is it is very different now people are living a lot longer and this attainment of 60 retirement or 65 it's expensive to retire then it's yeah. very expensive and to, to if you've got your house paid down you've got a roof over your head you've got some other alternative savings then you might be to do it we are finding now people even if they've got big pension pots they might have had a, a a marriage breakup it's affected their pension plan in their 40s and 50s how did they get themselves back on track so their, their vision can be far different from reality. Um, and I think if people, even if they've saved well, have been diligent, it's that timing. It's, it's when the markets will always go up and down. We are here for the bad times. It's when people think, mm, I'm not sure about that. I'm nervous. I want to put it all into cash. I want to pull out of the market. Um, the, the, the pandemic has seen a lot of that and, it's where you get that recovery from. When is right time? Psychologically tells you things go down. Oh, I'm worried. I can tra- I'll can. i take it out out the market. That is the time you should be going into the market. But it, it's against all of our instincts and all of our natural things that our mind's telling us to do. You, you just got to stay strong. And we've helped people through that. We took calls off people. We, we had Zoom calls, uh, Teams calls, just to say, look, don't panic. You've got another 10 or 15 years. If you've got spare capacity, put it in. Not many people did that because it's just quite a strange situation environment you have to be particularly brave but we just stop people taking it out because that when it's come down that is a worst time to take the money out because you're basically crystallizing your losses that that end of the story that is not something to do
0: unless you really have to yeah that makes complete sense And, and and it's having someone like yourself to talk to that perhaps people don't have you know, don't, don't, don't have on a a day to day, week to week basis. So the pension world has changed significantly, hasn't it in the last 10 years, you know, in so much as what you can do and what you can't do with pensions, historically, what you do, what you would do is you pay your money into a pension, and you buy your yearly pension payment and that's what you would get and, and yeah. granted it would be indexed and what have you but there are numerous other options available to people now there are two terms the term sip and sas so sipp and ssas firstly i wonder if you could explain those terms to, to, yeah. to the people that are listening I mean, and secondly if there's anything else that you'd like to add to them and give us just a bit of an overview of what options yeah. people have with pensions
1: i mean effectively you've you've got uh, a standard personal pension which effectively is what most people will have even if they're in a nest pension effectively it's a personal pension where your employer you inc- contribute four percent your employer three percent and tax relief will ma- make up the, the extra one percent to bring you to eight percent so it's a good starting point a SAS is a very specific type of scheme and it's is classed as an occupational spend- pension scheme albeit that directors within a business could start a SAS. Now, some of the premise to do that is if they wanted to buy a commercial property, they would all effectively be trustees of the SAS. Um, it's much more complicated than a, a standard personal pension, but it does work for some companies that, that want to invest in, I don't know, in, in their office or if, if it's industrial in, into, into an office with, with, with a premises that allows them to operate and effectively they benefit from all normal tax relief. You can actually gear up when you're purchasing a property and the members and trustees can borrow up to 50 percent the value of the the pension net asset value of the pension to actually um, allow them to buy a property and you can actually get a mortgage within that environment as well so that's quite different from a SIP um, so a SIP's is normally um, a, a, a more standard pension probably more similar to a personal pension um, it's classed as a personal pension normally run by insurers, so they'll be the administrator of it, Um, much more simple, but it allows you to not so much invest in commercial property um, per se as a group, you can do it as an individual, but it allows you to invest in unit trusts, other insured assets, slightly outside the range of a standard fund or or tracker fund of of a sort of normal pension.
0: What other options are available for people in relation to their personal pensions that weren't perhaps available let's say, five or ten years ago that you're seeing? I think it's purely
1: flexibility. Going back to the SaaS, I mean, the SaaS is very complex. There's much more cost involved. It's just that layer of cost. We find a lot of people that a sip sounds quite exciting. The amount of people say, oh, my friend's got a sip. I need a sip. Why do you need a sip? A lot of the bells and whistles or the add-ons of a sip you will pay for. And if you're not using them, there's no point in really having them. You could actually probably access many of the funds within a, a standard personal pension on a a platform with an insurance company I mean the things that uh, are commonly said uh, I think it was Osborne wasn't it stood up and said that everyone could be driving Ferraris or Lamborghinis or or something of that nature well that didn't really happen it's a flexibility they basically said that beyond age 55 which is actually moving up to age 57 if you do have a personal pension you can access up to 25 percent of that tax-free now that is great but Again, it's that compound. If people shouldn't use it as a piggy bank and rainy day money. However, we've known people that have used the money at 55, the tax-free to pay down their house. Other examples, there's been a divorce for the children. They need extra funds. So there's, there's all kinds of drivers to take that tax-free cash. Now, the biggie here is if you're a business owner or an individual that Effectively, it's paid down your house. Is it a time when you might have more um, disposable income to actually, and you've also you're 10 years out, 15 years out from retirement and saving? It's a time where you could potentially put more money into the plan. Now, you could put up to 40,000 a year into a pension plan, but critically, if you take the tax rate at 25, uh, at 55, you take the 25%. That's fine, but if you take a pound of income over that 25% level, that's classed as Crystallization, uh, second crystallization, event and you taking an income. If you take that, it reduces the amount annually you can pay into your pension to £4,000. So if you've lost this £40,000 flexibility. You can only pay him £4,000 if you take 25 over that 25% level. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll give you an example of that. I had a client come to me, had four different pensions. Without fully reviewing all of them, he needed, um, I can't remember the exact figures, but he needed about £30,000. One of the plans was about 90,000. He said, oh, um, I'll encash half of that or whatever. So he, he went beyond that 25% limit without really without assessing the other three plans he had and taking the 25% across the board. He just encashed the money he needed. So that took him through the 25% into income. That stopped him uh, paying up to 40,000 a year in. And he was limited to 4,000 pounds. And that was just oversight, just quickly looking at paperwork, thinking that was enough. And he just tripped him over the edge. And, and it's actually really impacted his ability to, to save going forward.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? It's the manipulation of the figures. And it's the understanding that you, you you just that perhaps a layman just doesn't have. Could we possibly go through the tax benefits for paying into a pension? Now, if I've got a, a business owner that's listening to this, um, to this podcast, I can tell them what the business tax benefit is, which is, it's an allowable cost to the business. Let's say you pay £10,000 into a pension for yourself. The tax benefit is the corporation tax that will be saved on that. So there's £1,900, 19% of the 10000 yep. which is great. But also, could you just go into the tax benefits for them personally?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, obviously, if, if they do it as an employer contribution, um, effectively, they are still governed by the annual allowance limits of 40000 they obviously save on the corporation tax it works out slightly more effective doing it that route than paying it as a as a payment from income because if you if you pay it out of income basically you pay employer's ni employees ni on it which is a critical thing going forward because obviously we know there's going to be an increase in that allowance come the new tax year so i think it's something that really people should look at taking trying to remove some of that burden um, so it just works out more effective for the business uh, to pay it straight straight as an employer's contribution if you pay it the other way around you get tax relief on 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 every pound you put in so effectively if you start at a basic rate level i know probably a lot of the directors and business owners may well be higher rate taxpayers but as a basic rate taxpayer if you pay 100 pounds in it would effectively only cost you 80 pounds because the tax relief is provided at 20% by the government, so they make up that bridge. You pay £80 in, you get £100. Without making it sim- too simple, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, it's gonna cost you £60 to get that £100 of benefit. So anyone who doesn't think that pensions, the problem is with pensions, they seem so far off, but it's free money. Even if, forgetting the stock market, forgetting the funds, forgetting everything that goes on, if, if, you, if you give someone £60 and they're giving you £100 in return, that seems like a pretty good deal, regardless of the cost, the annual management charges, all these other things that are involved. That is free money. And the, the government don't like give away free money. So that is a big advantage. And when you come at the compounding, if you can get that in as early as possible and let that tick over, it's going to stand you in very good
0: stead. Yeah, absolutely. 100%.
1: And it's also one of those things, the employer provide you a pension, hopefully, but they don't provide you with the advice. Yeah. They won't take the liability. now if you're basically between 100,000 and 125,000, I think it's 140 pounds, over that level, you lose all, all of your uh, personal allowance, but you use one pound for every two pound over that 100,000 level. So if you were to make a salary sacrifice contribution into the plan of up to 10,000, it would take you under, if you can keep under that 100,000, you benefit from reduction in NI, reduction, <laughs> keeping your personal allowance. I think the figures work out to around about 60% is, is the benefit from doing that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of intricacies within that because obviously you've got your 40% allow, relief anyway. You're, you're going holding hold on to your personal allowance. It just takes a little bit of planning and, and obviously people at that level often Go through that tier quite quickly if they're fortunate in the, in their working life. But for that period that you've got that flexibility, you've got your 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 allowances available. It's definitely something worth looking into because it is probably the lowest hanging fruit that's out there for those individuals. They're sitting there. There's probably people sitting at their desk got a bonus. Got, and, and some people have got the ability to maybe be a bit more flexible on their bonus to speak to an employer. They can put it straight into their pension. There's lots of things you can do. And it, it's worth that conversation because there's no point in looking at your wages and thinking, wow, <laughs> I'm 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 paying tax from zero to a, to 100 now when you could avoid it with some, with some pretty basic
0: planning. Yeah. And I guess that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Planning. If you have multiple pensions for multiple yeah. employers, What can actually be done with these? You know, can you transfer it into one current pension? Is it wise to do so? What are the things that people should be aware of? This is definitely worth looking at. I think historically
1: for their working lives, people are much more transient now. They have many more different job roles. So they may have little pots here, there and everywhere. Now, effectively, when you look at it, they, they will be invested in slightly different funds. They'll already have slightly different values, depending often on the period of time people have been employed within those positions. But the key thing is, is A, if you move to make sure you, you, you keep the addresses up to date so you're at least getting the statements through, is it worth moving it? Well, that's a piece of work on its own. It really depends on what the current charges are in those plans. Some historic plans would have much higher charges on it for simplicity and administration. It can sometimes be a benefit to move it, so it's all in one place. Um, and certainly when you're doing full analysis and taking that snapshot of where people are currently and where they want to get to with a five, seven, ten year plan, maybe 15 year plan if, if they're that far out from retirement, it's fundamentally looking at what they've got, what that buys them in, t- in terms of um, income and what they're going to need. Expenditure is the biggest thing. Everyone says pensions, but pensions are flexible. But expenditure is a big one. And I think one of the key things is people don't know how much they spend month to month or year to year. But getting the big one-offs like cars, etc. When we when we do our expense sheet and cash flow forecasting to actually see what it is, and you go through, and then the husband and wife look at each other, well, you know what, you had three cups of coffee that week, four cups of coffee that week. Well, you look at them at £3 ago and are you going to be able to afford them in retirement when they're spending 70 80 pounds on coffee every time they pass uh, one of the highly named uh, coffee houses on the high street so they're the things that come out and it's like well what bits are you going to give up so if you've got this income are you prepared to give up some of your luxuries, so to speak in retirement or are you going to save more or are you going to reduce your expenditure so the key thing is it's having an understanding of what the plans are what they do not simply i've got pensions they look all right. Well, do you know what? Let's just do the, do, do the, the, the background work on it. Get under the bonnet and actually say, this is where they are and have the hard conversation say, it's not going to get you to where you need to be.
0: One of the things that I was talking about this week was gas and electric prices. Yeah. If you think about what's happening next year, can, you know, if you're retired and you end up spending and you've got a, let's say a three or four bedroom house and your gas and electric all of a sudden becomes three or 400 pounds a month. That's a massive whack out of your pension, isn't it?
1: It is a big thing. And, and also, if, if you look at people's the mortality rates, the length of time people are living for, a basket of goods, and people can probably relate to this because of lockdown, the basket of goods for someone in retirement is very different to that for someone who's working. Because People used to work in an office. So they weren't heating the house all day. They were out, the lights weren't on, electric went on. If you're older, you're sitting in there and completely dependent on you heating that property and lighting that property. Now, there's a bigger impact there also, is that it's also cheaper for two people to live together rather than one. To heat the house for two people and put the electric on, when you're halving the cost effectively, if you've each got a pension or whatever, it, the impact is far greater on one person. And unfortunately in life, as we know, death and taxes... Potentially, when we look at pensions, we look at those two people, if if they're fortunate enough to be married and and, uh, they're healthy, what life looks like for them now. But the hard question is, if one person died, and often the man, if he's got the bigger pension, what happens when he dies to that income? Does, Does it all disappear or do you get half of it or what does the world look like? So it's not, it is a moving target. It's not just in retirement, because as I say, back to those pictures when everyone's sitting on the beach, all happy, grandkids around them. Life, as we know, sometimes not that simplistic or wonderful. We all want it to be. But it's just doing those hard yards and saying, look, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens?
0: Are you going to still be able to live barry bottom line what do you think is the most important reason why it's a value and it's actually really important to speak to an ifa and if you do require them then to employ their services yeah. i think it's
1: peace of mind i mean ultimately the mechanics of what we do are analysis looking at where we are driving a plan forward to get you where you need to be in 10 20 years time looking at those Life events, divorce, uh, remarriage, death, what happens? It's making sure that you are in a position to still live the way you want to live. And ultimately, um, we answer the questions Is have I got enough? Can I retire when, when I want to? And is it going to last? They're, they're the critical things within the pension world. Can I retire when I want? Is it going to last me? And am I going to able to live comfortably on what I want to do? And if, if if it's a negative answer, one of them, then at least you've got the, the tools here to, to basically change it. You either pay more in, work a lot longer or just turn a blind eye and, and not do anything. <laughs> that, that, that's literally the other option, which a lot of people
0: unfortunately do do. That, in my experience, is exactly what happens. Many people just forget about it and go, do you know what, I'll deal with it when it happens. And by that time, it's far, far too late. And actually, you're, on the, you're, you're completely on the back foot and there's very little you can do about it.
1: But also for business owners, there is, there is a little more wiggle room, so to speak, in terms of the planning, because you've got the 40,000-year allowance. People go through a business cycle. The early years of nurturing or growing any business is about reinvestment, growing it, taking on employees, Making things more efficient, and obviously, pension planning is not in the forefront of anyone's mind. Going forward, if you get to a position where the business is stable, they are then look into retirement planning, what they can do, exit strategies. You can put up to forty thousand a year into a, in, into a pension, but you've actually got the benefit of carry forward. So, if you've got unused allowance from previous years, um, you can carry about to three years. So, you've got literally one hundred and twenty thousand pounds of allowance available to you if you've got the capacity to pay into it. And could you imagine the dent that will make in your corporation tax if you're able to do that? Yeah. The only caveat with that is, is that you need a pension plan in place. So even if you get a plan and put £50 into it or £20 just to have something there running for the previous concurrent three years, that's not going to provide you a pension. But it does give you that planning flexibility to think, you know what, I'm in a position now to pay into it. You don't want to be in a position where you haven't got the plan and you can use that one year's allowance. If you've got something there that's paying £20 a month in for that three or four year period prior to that big 120000 or minus any contributions um, lump sum, that gives you the wiggle room for planning. So even if it's there, it's, it's in it's in the locker should you need it. That is a
0: valuable thing just to have in place. You mentioned earlier a good pension pot. And now I completely appreciate the fact that this is Um, that every pension pot is different and and people live in different areas of the UK and people have different requirements in their in their retirement but could you give us a a, an outline of of what you would consider to be in your experience a good pension pot and what that will provide for someone because I think this is quite a telling question because I'm not sure people understand what they need in a pot to be able to provide them with an amount
1: you're right. I mean, geographically, obviously, house prices it, it does change from place to place in terms of overall living costs. I, I did um, look the other day doing some research, not for, for this particular discussion, but, but um, elsewhere, and I think they said the average value of a pension pot in a personal pension at retirement is about, obviously, at sixty five, is around sixty three thousand seven hundred pounds. That may be made up. That may be made up two or three, and they put it together. That really won't provide a healthy retirement. I mean, if you the reason people pulled out a defined benefit market and providing employers, providing individuals with a guaranteed income, it was just too expensive. People retired and lived 10 years beyond their retirement age. Now, people, I think the average age life expectancy for a man at 60 is, is 83. I think it's pushing on to 87 for, for, for a lady with your basic state pension which is a, around about 138 pounds a week providing just over 7000 a year of income as an underpin that's 63000 given inflation at 4% now if you were looking for a return of between 3 and 4% that's without inflation taken into account you'd be doing well and effectively a, a, pot, a pot of 100000 would give you 3 to 4000 a year Uh, That's without any bells and whistles on it, just a standard pot. So if you imagine you had an underpin of 7,000 state pension, you were looking for a further income of, say, 12,000 a year, you're going to need a pot of 400,000. Right to attain
0: that that's that's really good to know because But that's big it's big it's big it's it's, it's big figures isn't it but but compounding over time and this is why doing as early as possible it makes much more sense because compounding and getting returns on something that you invested 40 years ago is a lot easier than getting a decent return on something you invested two years ago that for me was really telling because if a hundred thousand pounds is three to four thousand well there you go you've got your gas and electric covered Yeah, at the moment. (laughs) uh, Yeah, uh, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But but you've got no money to do anything else apart from your with with your state pension. So it's pretty telling. We've been hearing over time, and this is kind of loaded based on what you said about IFAs and and, and the fact that you're an IFA, what we've been hearing over time is that pension fund managers have been struggling to beat the market. This might be for the more informed investor. Bottom line, is it worth investing in or could people, for instance, buy low cost index funds and learn to stock pick themselves?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's very, very easy in isolation to pick a fund or a range of funds at any particular point in time. And compare what it's done. I mean, at any point in time, if you look at index in terms of various asset, any asset class, one will be higher or lower and and they'll be cyclical. They will go through a phase. We look really at risk and what risk profile people are, because it's that anxiety piece. People may do well. It's almost like gambling. You, You do it if you start chasing it how are you going to feel and also coming towards retirement are you going to be stock picking funds that are going to provide you with an income and it is obviously everyone's got dispersions over lots of different industries but the fund management industry is um it's large um they've got analysts in there they've got people doing this full-time that that, i mean if you look at canary wolf there's banks of people interviewing people trying to get up to the information on companies can you categorically work off a I don't know, your your mobile phone with one page on it and say, well, that looks good. I'm going to go in with that. When you've got the the internet's full of different ideas, different analytics, people saying this and that. Could you move quick enough when people have got their day job day to day? They just want to know where they're going to be. I've got clients and some will do a little bit of their own stock picking. But I say do it with money you can potentially afford to lose There's no guarantees anything in life. But if there's some particular company you like or or choosing individual funds is the highest risk place to be because you're relying on one company, be that BT, Apple, all all these big companies to give you that income. If, If something happens, that can fundamentally destroy any of your savings. And what do you do? Hold it? Hopefully it will recover, it might do. So what we're very much geared to is making sure that there's a mixed pool of assets in there. Uh, it's diversified globally, even though globally now, the world's a lot of a smaller place. But just making sure there's, if, if, if something really does hit a problem as a company or uh, a region gets hit and is unstable, okay, it will make a loss within that a blip in the portfolio. But overall, there should be enough strength in it to actually still give you a return.
0: Yep, Barry. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. If um, if I were to ask you for one sort of final nugget of information or one one parting comment for the the listeners to take away with them, um, could you possibly um provide that?
1: Probably. I say, don't contribute too little, too late. I think take a snapshot of where you are. If you're not sure, and being not sure is, oh, I might pull that piece of paper out. I did see something come through with a pension on it. Don't hide from it. Have a look at it. See what's there. And whether you're 30, 40, or 50, there's still time. It's just looking and having a good idea of what that world looks like in 10, 15, 20 years' time. Assess what you've got now. If you don't understand it, then ask someone potentially that knows. That could be me or or someone else or someone that's knowledgeable. Get the up-to-date values and and just see where you are. And is that going to get you to where you want to be? But just don't wait. And there's no life can take over sometimes but I think if, if you just spare a few minutes just to look look at what you've got perhaps speak to your employer they might be able to give you some assistance there as well but if you've got access to a pension plan and someone's going to help uh, employ and contribute to it take it with both hands because it's free money and the government are giving tax relief into it so I think have a look make some plans and yeah hopefully you'll be on track
0: very that makes complete sense. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. If people wanted to get in contact with you and Oak IFA, what I'll do is I'll put the link to Oak IFA in the podcast uh, notes. Is there any anywhere else that they can contact you and your team?
1: You can put my phone number on there or, or email address. But yeah, and I, I think sometimes a pension regulator is a good place to go as well. There's some uh, pension wise, you can go on these sites. They'll give you a generic overview of what's available and structurally what pensions are and also ISIS, is another range of investments i think people's asset value is not just their pensions in retirement it could be property it could be ISIS. it's that mixed bag and it's just making sure that's working and 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 being as tax efficient when you're drawing down that income as it possibly can be
0: this has been great thank you so much for your time really appreciate it i no think that the listeners are going to get a load of value from this and just just to exact do exactly what you said at the end which is the nugget which is just make them think okay what do i need to do about this and then they can take it further brilliant appreciate you, your Andrew. time barry thanks take barry. care thank you bye-bye Cheers.